a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week we choose a situation that is unfolding somewhere in the world and we break it down. We make it easy to understand, explain the concepts behind it. My name's Kate Mack. I'm here with Dr. Keith Suter, the star of this podcast, and he is so well-equipped to explain any situation um, that we talk about on this podcast, specialist in international politics and international affairs, uh, a couple of PhDs on it. We've worked a number of years together in both television and this, obviously this podcast. And today, Keith, another goodie, strategic lies. Wow. <laughs> Such a novel concept, especially when it comes to politics. <laughs> this, yes, and this is a phrase from Professor Ivor Gaber, who is Professor of Journalism at the University of Sussex in England. And Professor Gaber was um, a journalist and, uh, in fact, still involved in making programs, but is also holding uh, this role of Professor of Journalism at the University of Sussex in England. And he's written an article for an Australian publication called The Conversation. And he talks about strategic lies, deliberate untruths used as a political tactic. And uh, he was one of the authors of a big academic study which has been produced and he's just summarised it in this recent publication. Really fascinating stuff. So it, it particularly focuses on the role of Dominic Cummings. We've talked about Dominic Cummings before. He was um, uh, Boris Johnson's brain, so helped Boris Johnson in a number of ways. What particularly made his name was uh, the campaign to secure Britain's leaving the European Union, Brexit. Um, That was seen as a losing cause, uh, and yet he was able to secure victory. It was close, but nonetheless, he secured uh, victory. One of the things that he did was strategic lying. Um, He launched this huge coach uh, written down in red, written down the side, we send the European Union $350 million a week. Let's fund our National Health Service instead. Vote leave. So that brought together a number of issues. Now, first of all, the basic figure is wrong. It was never that figure. Secondly, it enabled the Conservatives who were supporting Brexit to remind voters that they were actually supporting the national health system. So the national health system was created after World War II It was one of Britain's finest achievements. You may remember when we had the Olympics in London that the procession into the stadium on the first uh, night was led by doctors and nurses of the national health system. That was their way of Britain saying these are important people. And, of course, we're now going through all again at the moment because of the coronavirus crisis. But the Conservative Party is always seen right from the very beginning as being an opponent of the national health service, the NHS. And so what Dominic Cummings was able to do was, first of all, to come up with this false figure about the amount of money that Britain actually gave to the European Union, because Britain also received a lot of money each week. So it's, it's not the net figure. That's the first one. Secondly, he was able to say the Conservatives support the National Health Service, which is not quite true, but was sufficient to try to win this. And And particularly the overall narrative of their campaign is let's take back control. Let's stop being controlled by those awful bureaucrats in Brussels. Let's take back control and run our own borders. So 
This article uh, by Professor Gaber looks at the problem that his colleagues in the media would have had in trying to deal with what is basically a lie. So the, the commercial TV, ITV, devoted a full eight minutes to an interview in which Johnson was repeatedly challenged over the truth of this £350 million claim. The more naive might have thought that the interview had effectively destroyed the Leave campaign's key slogan, but far from it. The interview and similar ones on other news bulletins meant that the issue of the UK's payments to Europe was seen by millions of viewers as the most important issue of the campaign. So it was agenda setting. This, this is why I regard Dominic Cummings as a genius, because of his strategic lying. I loathe him, but I have to recognise talent when I see it. And so he ran uh, this brilliant campaign. And uh, Professor Gaber says that, in addition, once a statement, or a lie for that matter, has found a sympathetic ear, then no amount of rebuttal will convince people that it is not true. This is because the lie fits their worldview mm. and to believe anything else would create a sense of cognitive denizence. In other words, the split between what's there and what they're hearing, something we all seek to avoid. Furthermore, people's memories of corrections fade rapidly, but the memory of the original lie remains. <laughs> so it was a brilliant piece of marketing by Dominic Cummings. So that is uh, identified by... Uh, Gabor and his colleagues as being an example of strategic lying and very successful. It, it got this, um, what was seen originally as a, a, a failed campaign. David Cameron was most dismissive. That's why he didn't take it seriously. And then in the end, lost and resigned immediately thereafter. Do you think his failing was that he just thought with any kind of lie that the truth comes out at the end? Well, the truth doesn't necessarily come out in the end. It will for the historians. The people who years later or months later or whatever will say that was just simply not true. But I think for the ordinary general public, if they were already suspicious of Brussels bureaucrats, then they would see this as feeding into that suspicion and that would stay in their mind. Okay, so when when we apply this kind of logic, and I hate that we keep bringing up Trump all the time, but he's such a unique politician <laughs> that he provides great examples of this stuff, but he has lied all through <laughs> his campaign, presidency. Yep. I mean, the fact that he lost the vote, you know, yeah. and he's still lied about that, and that is ingrained in people's psyche. And he's at the moment saying he'll be reinstated in August of this year. As the leader of, of the Republican As, as the president, which is totally wrong. Oh. It, there is no mechanism for that to happen. But, but he's making it, and there are people who are believing him. I still have viewers and listeners who say that the election was stolen. And, and that it doesn't make any sense to most people, you know, really. Not, but, not amongst your chattering classes. No, no, no. But even over there, you look at the vote, you look at the numbers. Surely you it's go. Seventy-four million is still a big number. Yeah, but he, but he still lost by a couple of million. Yeah. And then there were trials in each of those states that proved that they were legitimate votes. Is this a great example of where that narrative sat well with those Trump voters? Absolutely, it fed into what they believe. It's, it's really a bit like the climate change debate, that, that even if some of the climate change sceptics who are media commentators were suddenly to say, yes, we have a problem with climate change, they wouldn't say that on air because their supporters are so used to hearing them 
express scepticism about climate change. Mm. They can't afford to back down, otherwise they'll end up losing their own listener audience. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Sudo. We're talking about strategic lying today because it's shown to work <laughs> in terms of yep. getting the public on your side, Keith. That's right. Now, it, this article by Professor Gaber says that strategic lying raises a number of major ethical issues, but there's also an important practical one. What do journalists, particularly those working for the regulated public service broadcasters in Australia, that would be the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, ABC. What do those journalists do when faced with the conflict between disseminating what they know to be a lie and their legal responsibilities to exercise due impartiality? And that is a real problem because if you are reporting what you know to be a lie, such as from Donald Trump, there's this important practical issue. Do you actually then report what Trump said and then say it with a smirk on your face or by winking? Or do you just do it deadpan and say Donald Trump claims that the election was stolen from him? I think we should stick with the Trump because he clearly is a great example Mm. of this strategic line. But we know all politicians are up to it in one way or another, which is one of the reasons why they are so despised, I think, in so many societies. That is one issue. So Gaber says, do they challenge the lie on air? Quote an opponent, quote a fact-checking organisation, or just not broadcast the lie. All are or could be problematic in the current regulatory environment. The quality of our democracy depends on the quality of the political debate within the public sphere. New campaigning techniques represent a real threat to both the debate and our democracy, and something needs to be done urgently to address this problem, although it doesn't explain what. And I don't... And I don't how do you stop uh, the lying? How do you stop them exactly? <laughs> Especially if it, if it works for them. Yeah. See, this is a problem which arose, uh, I guess, in the last 100 years since we involved the mass media in politics. One uh, British diplomat said this was diplomacy by megaphone. So in the old days, a government would talk privately to another government. And people wouldn't comment very much on foreign affairs. Whereas now a government issues a media statement instead of dealing directly with the government and that other government responds through their own media. So everything is out in the public, which means, therefore, the media are part of this manipulation, the agenda setting Mm. and trying to influence people's perception of the issue. It's It's a very complicated environment. And then you build on top of that social media and the speed with which lies can get around the world just so quickly. And, of course, on top of that, just to add to our depression, you've got the whole question of manipulation of images, you know, how it is possible to get somebody to to, to look as though they're saying something completely different from what they did in the original recording. So we're we're moving into a world where less and less can be taken as being definite uh, because there just seems to be so much ambiguity, so much vagueness. Again, it's a Another example of what I keep talking about, this new era into which we're heading with a new political landscape emerging and now the politicians lying as part of their normal campaigning quite deliberately as a way of trying to influence the voters. Uh, And eventually, of course, the voters might say, I'm so sick of 
the lying that's going on, I will just boycott the whole process. process. And in fact, it is interesting that in Australia, the younger you are, the less likely you would like to be to vote. Obviously, voting is compulsory. But we've got a lot of young people who really express no uh, real support for the election system. And this is partly due to the behaviour of the politicians. I wonder about this new era we're talking about, though, Keith. Do you think that as this goes on, we see more unbelievable things on graphics changed and people edited in certain ways? You just go as if. Do yeah. you think people just become more attuned with what's reality and what's not? Or they just tune out. Or they they're just, just simply saying, look, it's not worth all that time to try to work out how much truth there is in that video clip. I would, I would just choose to watch entertaining programs and not be involved in politics or current affairs. That's the risk we run, that you could end up with people just simply saying, it's all too complicated. I'm just going to concentrate on my own little corner of the vineyard, so to speak, just focus on my own domestic affairs and that's it. I, I will just drop out of the political system. So that means people will be ending up being much more vulnerable to manipulation. It's a pretty gloomy prognosis when you look at it, and we end up destroying the situation. Now, it's interesting. If you look at what went on in Germany after World War I, so Germany was not a democracy before World War I. After World War I, they experimented with democracy in the Weimar Republic, and it collapsed. The politicians were feuding among themselves. And in the end, uh, Adolf Hitler was able to come to power, promising strong government, which he gave them, and economic growth, which he gave them. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long uh, and, of course, came at huge cost ultimately for Germany. But if Hitler had decided not to invade surrounding countries, he would have stayed in power, I think, for an awfully long time because he was rebuilding the German economy and inventing you know, the Volkswagen automobile and all the rest of it. But then he overstepped the mark and invaded countries, started to exterminate the Jews. But if he had been smarter, I think he could have just stayed in power for a good many years. And he was also a comparatively young person compared with, say, Winston Churchill. So for me, it was, it's fascinating how the Germans experimented with democracy and then just gave it away. After World War II, the Americans gave them the democracy back by gunpoint. So you say apathy might lead to dictatorship in these countries yeah. that are traditionally democracies. Yeah, people would just be so sick of what's going on. Just give us a leader. And exactly, we'll work with it. a strong leader. Tell us what to do, which but takes us back to China and the fact that the Chinese get this strong leadership, they get stability, they're getting economic growth. Now, you can't criticise the government, but then in, in many Western societies, people already feel restrained as to what they can say because of all the political correctness. But then we're also spoiled because we're a wealthy country and an educated country and we've always had choices, so we would be very picky. <laughs> you know, we'd still demand our liberties. I love your idealism. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? No. No, I, I, I never take democracy for granted. That's the risk we run. There was an upsurge of democracy a few years ago and it, it looked as though there was a tidal wave. And I still like to refer to that tidal wave, particularly in our own region, like Taiwan, South Korea, the Philippines, Indonesia. But it's quite clear that um, democracy, say in, in Europe, you know, we have what's called an illiberal democracy in Hungary. That They actually boast about it. They say it's a democracy with limitations. Poland is also fairly strict now, having had a, a more of a period of 
democracy. So I think we just need to be very careful. Strategic lying can actually lead us down into very dangerous territory indeed. Dr. Keith, as always, fascinating journey. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.